most important thing, above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. I recently read an article about a movie that was uh, produced in the 1970s called The Stalker. The Stalker. And the movie is about this, this journey that two men take to find this secret room that whoever goes into the room will get whatever they most deeply want. Whoever goes into the room will get what they most deeply want. And in the movie, these, these two men are on this journey. They find the room, but once they get there, they hesitate to go in. And both of them hesitate to go in because in that moment, they realize that the room doesn't give you what you say that you wish for, but instead the room gives you what you actually most deeply wish for. The room reveals the inner desires of the heart. And so, what if they enter the room and they find out that they don't really want what they think they want? The room is not a genie in the bottle that gives you whatever you say you wish for. The room gives you what you most deeply wish for. Maybe for something that they're not even fully aware of. And so they hesitate to go into the room. Do you see the dilemma? Do you feel the dilemma? What if underneath the things that we think that we want, there's a deeper desire for something evil or ugly or petty and small? This room in this movie would reveal that the core of their own hearts is not a desire for something good or noble or beautiful, but something small and selfish and ugly. Would you go into the room? You and I know the right answer to what we should desire the most. We should desire good for our neighbor. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness or holiness or like Solomon for wisdom. We should desire God himself. We know, we know that those are the right answers to that question. But what do we really want the most? What is the deepest desire of your heart? Not the thing that you know you should want and say you should want, but the thing that you really want. Would you go into that room and would you take the risk of that deepest desire of your heart being revealed to you and to others? Because what if you found out that what you really want is something small or petty or ugly or evil? What if you found out that you really want, that the deepest desire of your heart is Simply the approval and admiration of other people. Or to be wealthy and comfortable. Or fame. Or what you really want is just to not be bothered by other people. Or what you really want is just great sex. Or a fix for your addiction. Or to be the smartest person in the room. What if you found out what was really motivating your actions all along, even your good actions, the good things that you do, maybe was not even love for God or neighbor, but some other selfish desire buried and hidden in the deep places of your heart? 
why is it that you and I believe that Jesus is Lord? We know that he died on the cross for our sins. We believe, we know in our minds that he is Lord and that he wants what is best for us. And yet, we find ourselves doing things that are opposed to that belief, that are opposed to that reality. We spend another evening watching television or taking another trip to the mall, even though our credit cards are maxed, or hop online for a binge of pornography, or fill in the blank of whatever it is, the thing that you find yourself doing, that you know in your mind isn't what is best for you, that you know in your mind that Jesus doesn't want for you. We really do believe. We really do know who Jesus is. We know the right answers. So why do we so often do the opposite of that thing? What's the reason? I suggest to you that it's because there is still some hidden desire in you, in your heart, that has not yet been fully converted to Jesus. And so maybe your mind has been changed. Maybe you believe all of the right things about God, but your heart hasn't caught up yet. Your heart hasn't yet been fully converted to Jesus. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything that you do flows from it. Lord, we pray that today as we hear your word spoken to us, Lord, that you would reveal to us, that you would reveal to us the the deep desires of our heart that are not from you, that you would show us those things, uncover them, reveal them, and then do your purifying work in us by the power of your Spirit. Amen. So last week we looked at the church in Pergamum, and this week we're going to look at the church, the letter of the church in Thyatira. I mentioned last week that both of these letters are very similar to one another. Jesus commends them for very similar things, and he also gives them the very same warning about the danger to compromise. And the danger both in Pergamum and Thyatira, were from false teachers in the church that were in one way or another coming in and telling them they could follow Jesus and conform to the way of the city around them. And so last week in Pergamum, we focused on the ways that the church was being tempted from within to compromise because of false ideas and beliefs. So we focused last week on the importance of of God's Word and how the Word teaches us truthfully about who God is and about who we are and about what our world truly is. And that that teaching needs to be the foundation of our lives and also the measure of whatever other ideas that we encounter in our lives. It's possible for us to believe wrong things about God or ourselves or about the world. Uh, There are worldviews and philosophies that we encounter in our life, and that if we believe them, if we submit to them, then that can lead to physical or spiritual death and destruction. And so we must make the Word of God our foundation and our measure. What I've suggested already today, in addition to the danger of wrong ideas and wrong beliefs, there is this other danger that we have to pay attention to as followers of Jesus. And it's maybe even more dangerous, not because of the consequences are, are worse than wrong beliefs or wrong ideas, but because this danger can be so subtle. 
And we can be so unaware of it. And the danger is that we desire the wrong things. Our desires, our hearts, our wants are disordered. They are directed in the wrong place. We are hungry and thirsty for the wrong things. And if your desires, it's like if your beliefs are wrong, if your desires are aimed in the wrong direction, that also leads to physical death and to spiritual destruction. And so, not only does the Bible provide us with this foundation for our lives and this measure for judging the truth, um, true and false ideas, but it also points our aim, the aim of our hearts in the right direction. And God, through the Scriptures, also works through His Holy Spirit to do this transforming work in our hearts so that as we encounter the truth, that the Spirit then is at work reforming and shaping our wants and our desires to be aimed toward God and the things that He wants from us. So what I just want to suggest today, just very clearly, it's not only our minds and our ideas that need to be converted to Jesus, but our hearts and our desires as well. Because if those are aimed in the wrong direction, it can also lead to physical and spiritual death. Before we read uh, the, the letter to the church in Thyatira, I just want to give you a little bit of introduction to what was going on in this city so that you can have a little bit of an idea of the context of what's happening in this city at the time. A couple things that would be good for you to know. Uh, the god that was commonly worshipped in Thyatira was Apollo, who was the, considered the son of Zeus. He was considered the protector of the city of Thyatira. And uh, he was, uh, so he was called the son of the Most High God, the son of Zeus. And he was also the god of sunlight and the god of train, uh, trade and manufacturing. So remember those two things, that Apollo was uh, the son of Zeus, the son of the Most High God, and he was also the god of sunlight and the god of trade and manufacturing. The second thing you need to know about Thyatira is that it was, um, it was really a thriving city at this point. There was a lot of trade and manufacturing in the city, a lot of creativity and production of goods to buy and to sell. Um, in the book of Acts, we actually are introduced to a woman from Thyatira named Lydia. And Lydia was a woman who, who made and sold purple cloth and who, who became a follower of Jesus. She was from the city of Thyatira. And in this city, there were these trade guilds, basically these, these clubs that if you were... Um, if you worked in bronze or, or in metal, or if you uh, did like, like Lydia did, made these cloths, you would be in a guild, in a club. And these, these guilds served as um, kind of like a trade union would today, or, um, or in combined with like a social club. It kind of brought those two things together. The guilds provided stability and employment for its members. If you paid your dues, they would assist you. If your, um, if your products weren't selling, they would assist you to get you through a difficult time. And they also served as this gathering place to meet and interact socially. And if you weren't a part of one of these guilds in Thyatira, it was really difficult to make it. These were the rooms where things happened in Thyatira. And so if you weren't a part of one of these guilds, it was really difficult for you to make your business happen. But most of these guilds had certain religious ceremonies that were dedicated to certain idols, and part of their gatherings uh, would have been dedicated to the worship and the sacrifice of one of these idols. And so the questions that Christian had, had, 
that Christians had in the city is, can we be a part of these guilds or not? Uh, Can we go to a club meeting where they make sacrifices to these false gods and still be a follower of Jesus? Because if we don't join one of these things, we really are risking financial ruin for ourselves and for our families. And so this pressure was for them to conform in these ways to these to these guilds. As well, this letter, I'm going to read it in just a second, tells us that sexual immorality was common in the city of Thyatira. It would have been a temptation for Christians in the same way that it is today, and really has been throughout history, to simply go along with the world's practices of sexuality. So with that context in mind, uh, let me read to you the letter of the city uh, to the church in Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. But her teaching, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this letter, like... All of the seven letters of Revelation is really this temptation to compromise. And the pressure to compromise seemed to be coming from this teacher who's given this pseudonym name here of, of Jezebel. Jezebel was a, a character in the Old Testament who was married to King Ahab, who led the Israelites to worship idols. And so this teacher in Thyatira is given this name Jezebel because she was doing the same thing that Jezebel was in the Old Testament, leading God's people to worship idols, and to um, engage in sexual immorality. The danger to the church in Thyatira, I think, can be summed up in this way, as we think about its context in the letter that we've just read, is that they would love the world and the things of this world more than they would love God. That the desires of this world, the wealth and the safety and the security that was available to them by participating in these guilds or the pleasures of life through participating in sexual immorality, the church was being taught that they could follow Jesus and do those things as well. That the disordered desires of their heart 
or not in conflict to discipleship to Jesus. So reminded this week of this um, other passage of scripture from First John, where John writes this: "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh." The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I think that this could be a summary of the letter to the church in Thyatira. I want to talk a little bit about about desire, about the longings of of our heart. As human beings, we were made by God to love, to desire, to have longings for things that are outside of ourselves. And that is a good, God-given thing. It's important to start there to say that because sometimes there's this impulse in the church to say that desire is a bad thing. And that part of the goal of the Christian life is to suppress our desires and to suppress our passions. But I want to suggest to you that our problem, our problem is not desires themselves or our passions themselves, but that our passions are directed in the wrong places, that they're aimed in the wrong direction. Christian life and growth, I want to suggest to you, is part of converting our desires away from those things that will not satisfy us and towards those things that lead to eternal life. C.S. Lewis has a, a wonderful quote Sure, I've probably used it before. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He is right on here, he so often is. We are far too easily pleased. We are creatures of desire. We long for things outside of ourselves. We love, we have passion, and that in and of itself is not the problem. That's a good thing. That our problem is that our desires are disordered, aimed in the wrong direction. We are too easily pleased. We have given up finding satisfaction in life with God, and instead have sought to satisfy those desires and longings with another trip to a mall, another internet search, another vacation, fill in the blank with whatever it is, your whatever whatever is your mud pie in the slump. Augustine has this famous quote, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God has made those desires for us to know that there is something more than our own life, something more than life here on earth, and that those desires are so powerful because God wants us to move our desires to Him. And if we stop along the road at the the mud pies and the plum, we're never going to make it to him. Those, those desires are, are meant to be aimed toward. We must 
must go through a conversion, a conversion of our desires. Not a suppression of them, not pretending that they don't exist, but to allow the Spirit to work in our life to aim those desires towards God and towards the things that He desires for us. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything that you do flows from it. Above all else. And so this, this letter to the church in Thyatira gives us this vision of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I want to say a few words about what this letter says about who, who Jesus is. First, he is the Son of God. Remember, Apollo was called the son of Zeus, the, the son of the Most High God. This is the, the God that was most commonly worshipped in this city at this time. And so, Jesus is writing this letter reminding who the true son of God is. He is the one who is like God, who reveals to the world what God is like. He is described here as having eyes like fire. What does this image represent? Well, the light of a fire reveals. Light reveals. It searches our hearts and it finds the hidden corners of our life that have not yet submitted to him. The light of his eyes uncovers the secrets, the the hidden desires that we think we can hide from other people, from ourselves, and from God. The light of his eyes uncovers those things. His eyes are like that room in the movie, The Stalker, that I talked about earlier. It sees into the hidden places of our heart, beneath the false ideas, beneath the hidden desires, and he is able to see what is underneath and reveal those things to us. Uncover them for us. Sometimes things that we may not even be fully aware of. And that is a terrifying thought. But those things would truly be revealed to us. But we really need to remember But the eyes that he has that are like fire that reveal, he is not seeking to reveal those things in order to shame you, but in order to change you. To bring them out into the open so that he can then do this work of purifying you and making you more like himself. Because his fire, the fire of his eyes, does not only reveal, it also purifies And the metal workers of Thyatira would know well the way that intense heat refines and purifies metal. And in the same way, the eyes like fire that Jesus has reveal and expose the impurities in our life. And those fire of his eyes also purify those desires that are aimed in the wrong direction. They bring them to the surface so that he can address them, so that his spirit can can change them in us and aim our eyes our desires in the right direction. He tells us that his feet are like burnished bronze. What does this image suggest to us about Jesus? Speak to me about stability, strength, security. With feet like bronze, we can hold on to him. We can trust him. Our desires tend to toss us here and there and everywhere. Many of you in this room have struggled with addiction in your life, and 
addiction in your life leads to instability, to your life being scattered, to be unable to hold down a job, unable to be reliable and counted on by your friends and your family. If you pursue Jesus, if your desire is aimed at Him, you can hold on to His feet that are like burnished bronze, stable and strong and secure. He's not going anywhere. This passage, we hear that also Jesus is a patient judge. It says here that he is even giving time to this Jezebel to repent from her immorality. Repentance is available. The Lord is patient, even giving time for this false teacher Jezebel to repent. The Lord is patient with us. He searches our hearts, and his eyes are like flames of fire in order to reveal in us those desires that aren't from him and that cause us to walk in sin and obedience, and he is giving us time now to repent, to turn from them. Right now, there are some of you, maybe even all of you, including myself, that is nursing some desire, some secret desire that maybe no one else knows about, that you know that isn't from him, and he's calling you today to repent and to turn from it. He's giving you time to repent. He is a patient judge. But the scripture is clear that his time does not last forever. There is a time when suffering will come if you do not turn and repent. I have given her, this Jezebel, time to repent from her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. Friends, this is the warning to the church at Thyatira, and to the church, and to us today, those of us who may be holding some secret desire, nursing some desire in our life that has not yet been converted, and that we are aware of. And today is the day to allow his piercing eye to see and to uncover what that is so that you can repent and be healed. To be open today to the work of the Holy Spirit to come and to do some deep surgery in your life to allow him to expose and to purify. And so I just want to take a couple of minutes here to be quiet. We've done this, we did this at the very beginning of the service. Friends, I just want to say to you that that time at the beginning of our service is not a time for you where we confess our sin, just kind of be kind of waiting out the time of silence. This is a purposeful time at the place at the very beginning of our service, and that we're going to do it again now, where we are opening ourselves up to the, the eyes of God reveal to us those things there that we may be very aware of, we may be very aware of that we need to repent from, and maybe even show us things in our life that we aren't yet aware of, that we need to turn from. So I want to take again a time of silence for you to open your life, your heart, and your mind to the work of the Spirit, and to ask Him to show you those things, that those desires in your own life that you need to repent from right now. Lord, you search us and you know us. You know our thoughts, our intentions, our motivations. You know our words even before we speak them. But there is nothing in our lives that is not laid bare before you. And so we, we agree with you now about who we are and the things in our life that we need to turn from. Yes, you show them to us. Reveal them to us, and Lord, give us the courage to take whatever steps are necessary to repent and to turn from them.
in Christ's name. So friends, what is the what is the reward for those who overcome? For those who are who are victorious. This is what this letter says is is our reward. Verses 26 through 20, uh, 28. And I friends, I just want you to listen to what's said here. I think we sometimes read these words and they just kind of, I don't know, just kind of gloss over our minds somehow. I want you to read and take seriously what this letter says to us about the reward for those who overcome, for those who, whose desires are converted to Jesus. This is, this is the reward. To him who overcomes... And does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Friends, in the very beginning, when God made Adam and Eve, his purpose for human beings was for them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to rule over it. That was God's original purpose and design for human beings. And that original purpose will be renewed and restored for those who overcome and are victorious. When you think about the age that is to come, have you ever considered that? That in the age that is to come, God has good work for you to do. That you will be given authority to reign to rule. The same authority, he says, that the Father gave to him, to Jesus, he's going to give to you to reign. I I don't think that our our vision of eternal life usually includes that reality. At least mine typically does not. Jesus re-emphasizes this just to think that maybe he, I don't know, made a mistake and kind of got a little too excited or something. <laughs> he repeats the same thing in Revelation chapter 3. To him who overcomes, it's verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. In First Corinthians, Paul says that believers one day are going to judge the angels. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I think that our vision of the age to come is so often way too limited. We are told that in the age to come, there's going to be activity and responsibility and authority that we are given. And what I want to suggest to you in the Holy Spirit's work of converting our desires is part of his preparation for us to be able to receive that authority. To be able to carry out those responsibilities in the age to come. We are being equipped and prepared to rule. 
It's just part of what is waiting for us in the age to come. And in order to rule, we need to know God's word. We need to know what is true and right. And we also need to be sure that our desires are aimed in the right direction. And so the Spirit right now is at work in us, preparing us to rule over the nations in the age to come. In order to rule well, we need to know the truth about God and our world and about ourselves, and we need to be people whose desires are purified. We know what it's like to live under ungodly rulers, rulers who are selfish, rulers who have desires that are not for the good of God's people and the good of, of creation. And so God is making us, purifying us, making us the kind of people who are able to receive this authority that we will be given. So back to this time of silence that we just spent exploring, asking the Spirit to uncover. Today, as you agree with God about whatever it is in your life, whatever hidden desire there may be in your life, and as you have confessed that thing and as you turn and repent, that can be the first or maybe the next step in God preparing you to be the ruler that he is calling you to be in the age to come. Will you take that next step with him today? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this, this vision. It feels like there, we just get a little taste of it here. But Lord, we know that whatever you have for us is going to be good and glorious. And it's going to bring you glory. And it's going to bring us joy. And so, Lord, I pray that we would step into that reality right now. That we would step, that we would agree with you that we would submit to uh, your truth in our lives, that we would submit to your way and your will in our lives, that we would submit to what you say to us about these desires that are aimed in the right, wrong direction. God, that we would submit to your Spirit's work in our lives in transforming us and purifying us, refining us. I pray that we would submit to that work today. In Christ's name, amen.